Hello, this is Dr. Nasir Gami, and you're listening to the Gami Psychiatry Podcast. Scientific, humanistic, and not the conventional wisdom. Hi, this is Dr. Nasir Gami, and welcome to my podcast. Uh, in the prior episode, I had uh, given um, my view on adult ADD, uh, viewing it as invalid, and uh, that was the title of the episode. And um, it's been a little while, and I was uh, going to comment a little on some uh, of the responses I've received about it um, on Twitter and by email uh, to try to get at um, some reactions that uh, don't automatically accept what I have to say and and to, to maybe respond then to what the specific um, opinions are that others express. So for instance, on Twitter, one person uh, who's a physician wrote, in my experience, I more often have seen the opposite uh, than what I described, which is uh, that uh, ADD, I said, is misdiagnosed instead as mood illnesses. Uh, it, it is a mood illness and it's called ADD. And this physician says she's seen the opposite. She writes, ADD in adults has been missed all along and manifested as an anxiety and depression due to the stress. Usually there is a family history. People miss ADHD and OCD because that's how their brains have always worked. Well, first let's just remember the assumption here is that ADHD, quote unquote, is a valid diagnosis. By valid, I mean it's been scientifically proven to be legitimate. And by that, I mean that you have shown studies where uh, people who supposedly have so-called ADHD are different than people with other diagnoses based on their genetics and their course of illness. This has not shown to been shown to be the case. Let me repeat, this has not been shown to be the case. Uh, this physician also says usually there's a family history. Well, uh, if you have a fever and you have a family history of fever, that doesn't mean that fever is a legitimate diagnosis. diagnosis. Uh, you have to show in genetic studies and in diagnostic studies in general that this clinical name, fever, ADD, is legitimate. If it's not legitimate, it doesn't matter if you say there are people in the family who've had it. If you have fever in my family, that doesn't make fever a legitimate disease. Uh, so as I discussed in the podcast, the claim that ADD is genetic is actually quite questionable because in those studies where they claim they have ADD in family members, they don't look at comorbidities in those family members. Often those family members have bipolar illness, which we know is genetic. So in fact, the genetic link is bipolar illness, not ADD, but the researchers think it's ADD because they don't assess the bipolar illness. It's not legitimate to make such genetic claims unless you rule out those other comorbidities, which they do not. So those genetic studies um, are really not valid, have not proven that ADD is genetic, even if you accept the construct. But like I said, the construct has not been proven to be valid by differentiating from other diagnoses based on its course of illness, its genetics, and to, and to whatever extent we have it, biological markers. This is how we validate diagnoses in psychiatry, and ADD has not been validated. So the person's claim here has some assumptions. She says ADD, ADHD in my adults has been missed all along and manifested anxiety and depression due to stress. Well, that assumes that ADD exists to say that it miss, it's missed all along. That assumes that it's legitimate, which, as I said, 
is in the prior episode I tried to explain is not the case. Usually there's a family history. Well, there's family history of fever. That doesn't mean it's legitimate. People miss ADHD because that's how their brains have always worked. No, they're not missing it if it's not real. Um, now, the other point you made here, ADHD has been missed and is manifested as anxiety and depression due to the stress. Well, this is obviously her interpretation. Uh, it may or may not be true, but it's certainly not a scientific fact. And even as a clinical experience, I wouldn't say it's certainly provable uh, or proven the way she says it, uh, because again, it assumes that ADHD exists as a legitimate thing. In fact, all these patients could have cyclothymia, which is legitimately proven scientifically, and therefore have anxiety and depression due to the cyclothymia, not due to some presumed quote unquote stress that the clinician here has to um, invoke. Uh, the other comment made in the same discussion in the course of some threads uh, is in my clinical experience, uh, the key has been treating ADHD pretty much eliminates the anxiety and depression symptoms and you no longer have to treat those. And my experience has been the exact opposite, that the ADHD patients actually get more anxious and depressed. In fact, we know that amphetamines do increase anxiety. That's a direct side effect of amphetamines. So the concept that amphetamines would reduce anxiety is hard to understand uh, this would be like saying, for instance, uh, what would be a good analogy, um, that antipsychotics reduce akathisia. No, antipsychotics cause akathisia. They don't reduce it. They, they are very well known to cause it. Amphetamines are very well known to cause anxiety. They do treat depression, though. Um, they, in fact, were introduced in the 1930s initially as a class of medications for depression. They were the first antidepressants. They were used into the 1970s and, and 80s for depression. They didn't get used for ADHD. Uh, the whole concept of ADHD as a usage for amphetamines didn't come along till the 1970s after the FDA cracked down because of the abuse of amphetamines widely throughout the population uh, for weight loss and for um, sexual drive and for other purposes. So the idea that, that amphetamines reduce anxiety, I don't believe that. Uh, they can reduce depression symptoms, though, which would reduce anxiety potentially secondarily if the person's main problem was depression. Again, that's not ADHD. You're not treating ADHD. You might be treating a depressive illness. Another comment, if you mean a true adult onset of symptoms, then no, I haven't seen that except executive function symptoms that meet criteria for ADD after brain injury. Um, well, the... Um, the um, idea of adult ADD then, uh, is the, the, the clinician says she has not seen it, but when you look at the studies on long-term prospective follow-up of people with supposed ADD, the ones who were diagnosable as adults, all about the vast majority, 90%, did not have it as children. They were not diagnosed as children, even though they were in a study looking for it. So it's not a misdiagnosis. So... Um, you know, adult ADD is not legitimate, it's not valid. But if you diagnose it, you're really diagnosing people who have it as adults and never had it as children, which again is not the, the claim of what adult ADD is, supposedly continuation of childhood ADD, which it is not. Someone else wrote, a relative of mine diagnosed by my father, who's a psychiatrist, while he observed her on a holiday visit, suggested that her son's Ritalin tablet, that she take her son's Ritalin tablet as she struggled with focus, a different person resulted. Well, I, I would be a different person too if I took Ritalin. I would result to be a different person. I'm sure I would have produced this uh, follow-up podcast much sooner than I produced it uh, than I have. 
uh, instead of a month or so, it would have I would have gotten it done in two months. And I'm sure it would have been much more focused in this presentation of my podcast if I was taking um, Ritalin. Uh, someone else who's a physician replied, yes, a different person resulted. See, this is very simplistic thinking. I don't understand how my physician colleagues are so simplistic. If you take an amphetamine, you will focus better. Okay, congratulations. Let me give you an award. If you take Valiant, you will be less anxious. If you take uh, Oxycontin, you will have less pain. And if you take cocaine, you'll get high. Uh, all of these are things that have immediate effects on the brain and the body. That doesn't mean you have a disease. In fact, it's the opposite. The fact that amphetamines give you better focus does not mean you have ADD. Just like the fact that Valium makes you less anxious doesn't mean you have an anxiety disease. And the fact that cocaine makes you high doesn't mean that you have a you know, disease that prevents you from being high. These are just drugs of abuse that have direct effects on people. They can be used in low doses like benzodiazepines legitimately, um, but they still can be abused because they have direct effects on certain, uh, I hesitate to even call them symptoms, on certain certain psychological traits because anxiety is a trait. It's not a symptom of a disease always. And inattention is a normal trait. It's not a symptom of a disease, as I discussed in the podcast. So maybe this poor lady who was at the party where the doctor, or the, the, the psychiatrist said, take your kids Ritalin, this poor lady was just on the extreme of the normal trait of inattention. And so she was somewhat inattentive. Of course, she then becomes more attentive. Uh, hasn't proven anything. It has not certainly uh, proven that the person has a disease. Or maybe she has a mood temperament like cyclothymia and she's temporarily more attentive because that's what amphetamines do. But in the long run, uh, nothing has been solved. So those are my replies to those comments. And you can see a sort of general theme there is, hey, Gami, Dr. Gami says that ADD is invalid, but we give amphetamines to people and they're a different person. They feel better. That doesn't... Uh, that doesn't, it's not relevant. You know, A is true, amphetamines are invalid. B is true, I'm sorry, A is true, ADHD is invalid. B is true, amphetamines make you focus better. But C is not true. Therefore, because you focus better on amphetamines, ADHD is valid. That's not the case. The validity of ADHD is not based on whether someone has more focus on amphetamines, just like the validity of an anxiety disease is not based on whether a random person feels less anxious on Valium. You have to do the diagnostic research on genetics, course of illness, and biological markers to show that the supposed ADHD group differentiates from other diagnoses, and it does not, as I reviewed in the prior podcast. I'm going to shift now to uh, another comment I got from a colleague on email uh, who I've been interacting with on this topic. This colleague is a child psychiatrist uh, who I've known for many years, and he writes, uh, the primary struggle I've got with your explanation is that I feel like it shifts from explaining inattentiveness as a disorder to explaining it with mood as a disorder. Perhaps that was meant just as a differential. Um, and I'm particularly biased to hearing things ex as explained in terms of a mood disorder, but it seems to be a shifting to me. For example, you describe hyperthymia as having low level mania all the time. I see it more as hyperthymia as extra normal human uh, experiences not subpathological experiences. All psychiatric symptoms are normal human experiences just to extremes. All humans have subtherapeutic mania and depression and ADHD and OCD. 
the point of subtherapeutic is that it's just typically human. Well, let me just pause here and say, I don't agree with this because it's mis it ignores the scientific research that shows that there is such a thing as mood temperaments, that they are genetically related to people that have full-blown manic and depressive episodes, which we all agree uh, is not normal, quote unquote, in the sense that it's severe, episodic, uh, and comes and goes all throughout a lifetime, and it's genetic. And you can show the genetic differences between such people and people who do not have manic depression. Uh, and it's the genetic studies show that there are milder versions of those patients who have mood temperaments. And that happens in about 10 to 20% of the population and about 50% of those patients and their relatives. And it can be differentiated from the normal population. So you may have this opinion, but it's not true in the sense of the scientific research. Now, I will say, obviously, everyone experiences sadness. Everyone experiences happiness. Everyone experiences anxiety. Uh, everyone has inattention. Uh, so Yes, in that sense, the diseases that have those conditions uh, can be seen as overlapping with normal psychological experience, but that there is such a thing as having mild versions of those diseases and so-called sub-therapeutic uh, versions doesn't mean that it's just normal. Uh, and in fact, so the concept of subclinical is really the right word uh, for mood temperaments is a false concept in my view, because it assumes that there's something hardcore, legitimately valid about having severe symptoms versus none. And that's what a DSM does. It says that you shouldn't diagnose uh, bipolar or other psychiatric conditions unless they're severe. And then we want to say that mild versions is just normal. Well, that's like saying you shouldn't diagnose cancer unless it's severe and mild versions of cancer are just normal. There's an assumption there. The assumption is that the disease is only severe and that's obviously not true medically or biologically. So that would be my reply there. Um, he goes on to say, I tell my patients that I worry. I spend most of my time treating chronic sleep deprivation, vitamin D insufficiency, and the stress of living in a toxic culture uh, in home and the culture at large. And we label these problems as a disorder and we give pills, which probably applies even more to adults when you mix in low levels of substances and the long-term effects of, uh, on the brain of all this process toxicity. Well, that's a very good point, uh, and it gets back to what I've been saying forever, that we should not be giving pills for symptoms. We should be giving medications for diseases, not for symptoms. What you're describing is what most psychiatrists do, which is they give pills for symptoms, and these symptoms often have nothing to do with diseases. They may have to do with environmental problems, uh, with cultural issues, and so on. Uh, we shouldn't be labeling them as disorders, and we should not be giving pills for those symptoms Most in most people. I agree. Uh, in children, I think that happens because we don't know what the diseases often are uh, or because the DSM definitions like ADHD are false and don't actually reflect diseases. And therefore, this kind of pill giving for symptoms is even worse. And in the long run, I think it harms people. As I discussed in previous podcasts, the whole Hippocratic approach to medicine and psychopharmacology, as I'm applying it, is that uh, you should not give medications for symptoms. You should give them for diseases uh, as much as possible. When you give medications for symptoms, you cause more harm than good. Uh, in the case of ADHD, I would again say, mood temperaments are part of a disease, manic depressive illness, and they are treatable as a part of a disease and not just as symptoms. And then you improve inattention and anxiety and insomnia and a whole range of problems with low doses of mood stabilizers, which are not being given for symptoms, 
but for the underlying causes of the cause of those symptoms, which is the mood temperament. And that's different. So I think we should treat diseases where we can, and we should not uh, treat symptoms where we have no disease to treat as much as possible. So I agree with that general comment, but I think it's being misapplied here to ADD. A final comment from my colleague. Beyond that, I think the underlying struggle with ADHD is impulsivity reactivity, the speed at which they react, leading to basically constant poor decision-making, particularly of emotional responses. I don't see mood as the underlying issue. It's a consequence. Well, I'm not saying mood is the issue in terms of like feeling sad. The whole concept of mood disorders is falsely understood as being involving sadness and happiness. I'm talking about mood temperaments, and mood temperaments do not involve just feelings of, of mood, but rather they involve energy levels being up and down, especially. So exactly this impulsivity and reactivity is what a mood temperament is about when you have manic traits like hyperthymia and cyclothymia. Mania means, let me repeat, being sped up in your thinking, movement, and feeling. It does not mean being happy. Depression means being slowed down in your thinking, movement, and feeling. It does not mean being sad. Uh, so my colleague is misinterpreting the concept of a mood illness with the concept of a mood as an affect. And that's uh, the wrong way to interpret it. Mood illnesses involve either being sped up and impulsive and agitated, as he's describing with mania, or being slowed down with depression. Uh, so ADD, I always leave out the H because what he's referring to now is so-called hyperactivity. And hyperactivity has not, never been shown to be part of a legitimate ADD construct as separate and, and different from mania, meaning diagnostic studies that show that these so-called hyperactive kids are differentiated from pe people with mania, children or adults, based on their genetics, course of illness, or biological markers. That's never been done. It's never been shown. That's why I use the phrase ADD, not ADHD. And when you do use the phrase ADHD and you do focus on hyperactivity and impulsivity, you're, you are gonna misdiagnose ADD patients who do not have it, ADD, as uh, having it because this impulsivity and, and agitation happens with mania and happens in mixed states and happens in psychosis and happens in other conditions. So I think uh, this is the way I would think about this. And uh, I would assume that there are other ways that one can talk about this, these issues, but uh, this would be my reply right now. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you liked it and we'll catch you next time.